Welcome to the debut episode of Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network. Please rate, review, and subscribe. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. I'm Steve Cavendish. You can find me at S Cavendish on Twitter. We have many other titles, Steve. So if you'd like to give all those now, you may. Uh, let's see here. I'm the editor of the Nashville Banner, um, the president of Nashville Public Media. Uh, both of those are unlaunched uh, media entities <laughs> here in Nashville. Uh, we're out raising money right now. The Nashville Banner will be a nonprofit uh, news organization, hopefully to launch uh, sometime at, by the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Well, I am unofficially furloughed from ESPN Radio and Sirius XM, uh, and I, of course, still work for, for Athlon Sports. We'll get into our bios in just a minute, but uh, obviously, we are a couple of media nerds that are going to do a media show about sports media, essentially, and that's what this show is going to be about, and, and Steve, I think a lot of it is that you and I are diehard Nashvillians through and through, whether it means growing up here, going to school here, working here, being in the media. We're diehard media nuts and, and media nerds. And you and I both view this market and its interaction with its fans and its teams as perhaps lacking. Yeah. The Nashville sports market is is a really weird one because we're this, I mean, we're a top 30 market. We have uh, two uh, two pro franchises uh, of, of the big four. Nashville SC just started, although fans can't really see them <laughs> just yet. The The market is says that we should be big time, and yet our sports – we've grown at a time that sports media has contracted and changed and is really different than maybe the media that we grew up in. So it's a, it's a, it's a really weird time to be a sports fan here in Nashville for those teams. Basically, you and I have argued and yelled and screamed about sports media like over beers. So we thought, let's just move that onto a podcast. Exactly. Is basically how this started. And I think it's because you and I are so passionate about the industry and are seeing it break down in so many different ways all around us. And I think fans deserve better than that. I think they deserve media that are going to you know, do their jobs as well as possible. I think that, that the team's need to be held accountable, but the media needs to be held, not accountable, but just demanding excellence of, of our teams is also something we can do of our sports media that cover those teams. And, you know, we want people to hold us accountable. And, and I think that's an important, uh, important aspect of this whole thing. And all this is happening, the media, while the media institutions are literally breaking, uh, when the, the Nashville that I grew up in had two big newspapers with big sports staffs that kind of drove the conversation. Uh, it had a rising sort of talk radio element to it. And then that all has, that's all changed rapidly. You know, the, the, the banner closed in 1998, the Tennessean sports staff is down to seven or eight people now. Uh, you know, the, you've had the loss of influence of that kind of big dynamic piece of it. And then you haven't had the, the the replacement pieces of it have been have been really weird, particularly like for instance in COVID. I, I was I was pouring through the ratings book the other day, and you see the fact that people aren't in their cars every day has 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 taken a big chunk out of sports radio in this town, uh, out of the audience in this town, and that's gonna have that's gonna have lasting impacts, uh, whether it's lineup changes, whether it is 
content changes, all, all of this is it, it, just it's just changing. The fact that we're coming to you in an on-demand format uh, and that more and more people are turning to podcasts as a way of consuming sports media is a definite sea change in how uh, uh, and how a fan educates themselves. Well, well said, Steve. Subscribe to all shows on yeah. the 440 Sports Network, including this one uh, here on Lamestream. And I, I think, listen, I think it's, I, I, I do think that the maturity of this market is sort of difficult to understand. I think there's a ton of people from a ton of different places with a ton of interest. So that automatically makes it a difficult market to understand as someone who's, you know, we both worked in this market trying to serve sports fans and now we're doing it in, in different capacities. I, I do think it makes for a tricky and difficult and interesting dynamic that I don't really know if everyone has figured out yet. And I think that's also part of this. It's not anyone's any, anybody, any one person's fault. And I don't think it's, there's a million of, of market forces at play. Like you've talked about, it's crumbling around us. So I think it's, there are still amazing. And I want to be clear on this. There are amazing people, men and women in this town that are doing fantastic media work around the sports world. In fact, you and I are friends with a lot of them. And it's not that the people aren't there. It's not that the work ethic isn't there. It's not that the, you know, the good quality journalism and reporting, which is more of your department. I'm more of the infotainment opinion, sports talk, radio guy department. It's not that that stuff isn't there for people. It's, it's harder to find. And the systems around those people aren't really built in a way to help maximize their talents and their abilities, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are, there are lots of stories and lots of uh, pieces to this that we find fascinating and that we hope you as an audience are going to find fascinating as well. So I, I, we, should, we should talk a little bit about how we got here. Braden, uh, how did you get here as a sports fan? How did you get here as a, as a media guy? What did you grow up listening to? What did you grow up watching? What, what were the, the, the kind of the touchstones when I say sure. sports to you? So uh, my father called me sports boy all growing up because I played everything growing up. And my first ever sporting event was four years old at Shea Stadium and then like four and a half years old at Madison Square Garden when we were living in the Northeast. I went to sporting events all throughout everywhere we moved. We moved to Dallas. I went to a TCU football game, my first ever college football game. Real barn burner. No idea what happened. Do, so back up one second. Do you view Mets fandom as a curse or is this as something that you're stuck with now? Yes, it is a burden that is bestowed upon you by your father uh, and or person who brought baseball. Do you blame your here. father for that? A little bit, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, it, only the New York Mets could be caught up in a cheating scandal with the Cy Young Award winner and the reigning <laughs> rookie of the year and not get a championship out of the deal. <laughs> Astros and Red Sox did. <laughs> Mets didn't. And then they had to pay Bobby Bonilla again. So I, so point, the point, my, my very long story here, trying to make it short, is that my father instilled in me a love of sports at a very young age all throughout all the different places we lived. And we lived a lot of different places. So, again, I went to a Georgia Tech football game when we lived in Atlanta. I went to Braves games when we lived in Atlanta. A Falcons game. I went to games in Dallas when we lived there. I went to two dozen Texas Longhorn football games when I lived in Austin before I moved to Nashville in, in 1997 and playing sports and being obsessed with sports. I wore gear of every team. You know, I, I had a Seattle Mariners hat because of Ken Griffey Jr. Growing up as a kid, I had Penn state gear. I had Florida Gators gear. Like I had the weird, I just, I loved teams and, and I didn't love them as my favorite team, 
but I loved all sports basically. So what I did is I, I started consuming media. I read uh, Stealing Home, the story of Jackie Robinson, as every kid has done book reports on Jackie Robinson. The one that really strikes me is the NFL Films Super Bowl highlight VHS, you know, <laughs> that came out. I got it for Christmas when I was ten years old, right after the Scott Norwood Buffalo Bills year. And if you had this tape, you know exactly what tape I'm talking about. Yeah. And but what it did to your to your question about how did I get here, it, with with the way NFL Films changed the way they delivered highlights, right? It was about music and it was about drama and it was about microphones on the sidelines. It was about all this stuff that as a 10 year old, I'd never seen before. And it created this drama of every moment. I never would have known who Earl Morrill is as a 12 year old in 1992 or three or four. Like I never would have known um, who Hank Stram was, you know, like you never would have seen those guys, but they were, they, they were turned into gods by this VHS tape. <laughs> and, 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 the, and, the, and the dulcet tones of, of John Facenda. Yes. And, and all of the rate, you know, the, you know, the autumn wind is, an, you know, like, is a pirate, all this stuff. Like, so that tape, I remember that tape creating sports as reality television, right, as drama to me. So that was the first time it went from like fun to play outside to drama on the television. And then I started listening to Sports Talk Radio a couple of years later, and I want to say it was Arnie Spanier, I believe, on Sporting News Radio that was like an evening host that I could get on my little FM radio in Austin, Texas in like seventh grade, going to bed every night, listen to him talk about the Arizona Wildcats basketball team. Wow. And I think that's when I fell, and, and he would play really good music, and I was like, oh, you can mix music into this. That's sort of how I fell in love with, and, and then of course, Sports Center was at its high, highest point there. Right. So during my teenage years, you know, the the Sports Center, this is Sports Center, Stuart Scott, you know, it was peak late show. Yes, it, it was, was late show. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, and did you did you? Uh, so the, that that was my college years, and we would often get the overnights. It's like like you wake up in the morning, you get the one that's been replaying since three in the morning, so you get Kilborn, so you get, um, yeah, you get Stu Scott, you get those people like replaying over and over and over again. And you're just, you're just waiting for like the, the, the laugh line on the highlight as opposed to just the straightforward. Right. Yeah. And so Olbermann and Patrick, probably the two, you know, Kilborn started it, but then Olbermann and Patrick took it to another level right when I was like 16. And oh, by the way, the, my, you know, the Packers were good. <laughs> you know, right. Brett Favre was really good. They won a Super Bowl. <laughs> so like my teams were all over the, you know, at the media at the same time. So it was a lot of forces that came to, together. And then I happened to get a job out of college and the rest is, the rest is history. Nice. Um, Yourself. Well, the, you know, I grew up, I, I, I we, we had, we had uh, subscriptions to both newspapers. Uh, you know, the morning newspaper, Tennessee and with land. Uh, and my dad always got up early. I always got up early. It was a race to kind of get outside because if you, if you, if you grabbed the paper first, that meant you could claim the sports page. <laughs> and it was the days before, you know, it was, it was pre ESPN. Uh, we never, I never had cable in my house growing up. My parents got it like the year I went off to college. I was like, thanks, guys. The, <laughs> the, you would, you would go get it for the box scores. So you go start and you you learn how to read a read a game. And I was a big Celtics fan, so so I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at at those '80s Celtics teams, trying to trying to reconstruct the game in my head. Uh, and then I, you know I started. Uh, I, I consumed a lot of that. I consumed a lot of the NFL film stuff. I was a big ESPN fan, but um, you know there were a couple of. Uh, I started reading a lot more. I, I got into the Feinstein books because 
he had started writing stuff like A Good Walk Spoiled and and the sort of the fascination of of follow of following the people who were not the stars the the guys who were slamming trunks in the parking lot because they missed the cut and you know they were cutting out on a Friday night uh, the the writing that was in, involved in that you know the Feinstein had done had done a season on the brink and and, and kind of taken you inside the Bobby Knight uh, the Bobby Knight meltdown uh, Indiana I- Indiana teams and it was just it was absolutely fascinating, but I but I picked up this book and I, and I'd recommend this to anybody. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge soccer fan, but I'm, I'm a huge soccer fan because the World Cup came here in '94. I mean, I, I'm the same way, by the way. Yeah, and, and this is this was the this is the fascinating thing to me is that a, a bunch of people who <laughs> who wanted soccer to succeed in America said, you know what? If we get the World Cup here, we can plant the seeds and start a pro league. And soccer can actually sort of make it here. And and look, it worked on me. I mean, I watched all those yeah. games. I, I watched, uh, it, you know, every single bit of that, you know, boring ass final that <laughs> that it was just never. It was just like some of the worst television ever. I mean, there there was an own goal that resulted in a death, <laughs> but that was afterwards. Don't but forget there, about that. But there's a book, and if you're a soccer fan or if you're even a marginal soccer fan, you should go pick up. It's called Twenty Two Foreigners in, in, in Funny Shorts, and it's by a <laughs> brilliant uh, British writer named Pete Davies. Pete Davies wrote a book called All Played Out, which is probably the definitive account of uh, England melting down in the 1990 World uh, World Cup in, in that semifinal, losing uh, losing an Italian 90, and so he writes this book as a way to educate a- American fans, and it worked on me. I mean, the he explained the how a midfielder was supposed to work through John Harkes and, and, right. and play, playing in Sheffield. He explained what a what a goalkeeper supposed to do through Casey Keller, who's at that time was playing in Millwall, which is a second division English team and known, known best for its, its thug fans who would invade the pitch if, if, if they didn't like how the, the game was going. So it's, it's about the storytelling for you at that point. Absolutely. The people, which I still think is one of the biggest things missing, not to bring it back to what we're, what we're doing here on this show, but I think it is one of the biggest issues missing. It's why I think The Athletic has become a thing that that works to some degree is because it's going back to telling the stories of people behind the scenes, not, not, not just Patrick Mahomes' story, right? It's, it's not just Derrick Henry's story. It's about everybody uh, in, involved. And I do think that there's tons of room for that and not enough of it <laughs> yeah. at, at this time. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned box scores. Um, two things that struck me. First of all, Sports Illustrated for Kids was something I, I, I consumed a lot of growing up. But does it, do baseball cards count? As media, oh, absolutely. Because I learned how to do math on the back of baseball cards. <laughs> That's some weird math, man. Well, they fractions, percentages, batting averages, right? Like there wasn't any OPS or WAR on the back of baseball cards. <laughs> like a, that's a digital thing. Um, and then the other thing is, is my intro to fantasy sports was my grandfather and my dad had teams for the USA Today, but you had to mail it in every oh, week. I mean, so I would fill out the, my. So I I managed my grandfather's team at like age twelve or thirteen, and I had to. I remember filling out. You'd select your team, you'd send it in each week, and then you have to fill out the. Sc- I would get the paper the next morning, the Sunday, the the Monday morning paper, or the Tuesday morning paper, I guess. Fill out the score that I had, send it in. They would check it, and then like the next week when they sent you back all your information, I think you got the standings. 
Right. And, or something like that. So my first foray, and people listening to this on a podcast have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> None whatsoever. I mean, if, 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 I had to manually fill out fantasy scores. Emmett Smith, 23 carries, 212 yards, two touchdowns, and send it in. It's I mean, crazy. If, I mean, if, if you're if you're flipping through the if you're flipping through the podcast store trying to figure out like the next uh, <laughs> the next things you're going to listen to, that is that is as foreign a concept as you will ever absolutely find. And really, what it does to me is it crystallizes the need for a show like this because that was not that long ago. No. And so the landscape has changed so quickly. The way we consume media has changed so quickly. The way we interact with media, in particular in sports, has changed so quickly. I don't think, like, there's some major dynamics that have changed over the last 15 or 20 years. And I'm not sure that, frankly, people have time to thoroughly understand all of that, adjust to it, and then demand more from the people that they follow on Twitter or read in the newspaper or watch on TV or listen to on podcasts, frankly. It's interesting because those people have never been more accessible. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how to reach out and and talk to a beat writer when I was, you know, fifteen years old. But now you can tell him how much you think of his column in <laughs> exactly. real time, right? Right. Ten minutes after he's posted it on the internet, you jack wagon. <laughs> but but it is it has changed it has changed tremendously, and and all like I said like I said earlier, all these institutions have changed, and they have they have huge implications for us as fans. Uh, the you know the fact that the the fact that the Tennesseans sports department is is a half or less than it used to be means that all these stories that would have gotten told in in different ways whether it's whether it's a prep story whether it is what what I mean sometimes it's as, as little as having two guys on a beat as opposed to one uh, which means that you downstream as a consumer are are, are getting are getting less, uh, yeah. just getting less stuff. Uh, whether it means, I mean, but the cuts that we've seen throughout journalism here over the last 20 years have been at the TV stations as well. Uh, and all of those guys are doing more with less. And so it's it, it's fascinating to me to, to arrive at this moment where we have such access and such change. And, and I think it's going to make for a good podcast. I hope so as well, and and I can speak to certainly the radio side of this, and and I think there are major forces at play as we've talked about. Corporate consolidation is going to be a big one. I think users' attention spans is a really big one. Social media will be a huge focus of what we talk about on this show, but speaking from a radio guy's perspective, which is what I've done my entire career for a lot of different companies, you know, the, the way that the science is taught for radio is not to give you really good, in-depth, high-quality content that's thoughtful and that makes you guys smarter and that you listen to and then you want to go debate your butt. No, it's boiled down to a singular topic where you can yell at each other. That That is almost how it is taught to radio hosts. And so if they're teaching it that way, then eventually the user's just going to fall into that pattern. It's it's no different than, than having you know, one person on a beat versus two or three. Maybe there's an, a columnist and a reporter if you're going to boil it down to its simplest form, you're going to get the simplest content. And our goal is to sort of not only teach people or show people or unveil that that's what's happening, but maybe give you some tools and some tricks and some knowledge that help you consume this stuff in a better way, more efficient way, smarter way, so that you become a better sports fan and you feel smarter without, you know, feeling like you jumped on Twitter just to scream about something. It doesn't have to devolve into like throwing shit at each other. 
No, it doesn't. And, and and don't get me wrong, some of the most entertaining pieces of Twitter are watching monkeys fleeing poop at each other. <laughs> but there there is more to that. And there and there's more to that, I think, here in Nashville. Uh there are really good parts to this. Uh we're gonna talk to some of these people. We're gonna explore some of these issues. Uh and I think uh if you're a sports fan in Nashville, mainly we're on your side. We want you to have as good of a viewing experience, a listening experience, uh, as a consuming experience as humanly possible. And in a perfect world, we're going to bring a lot of different people onto this show that are doing it well to make sure they get credit for what they're doing. If we see something that's totally ridiculous that we can laugh at, we'll laugh about it and we'll we'll point that out. And if somebody is doing something dangerous and or unethical, we get to talk about it. Absolutely. <laughs> and we get to call it out. So uh, hopefully we'll have a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll all learn some stuff. Um, again, you know, we've lived here a combined 60 something years or something like that. We've both worked in Nashville media for most of our careers. Uh, I know you, you went away for a little while to, to a small, a small paper, uh, somewhere, a, a little, a little startup in DC called the Washington post. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be fun. We're going to try to keep it loose. We're going to try to disagree with each other as much as possible, respectfully, uh, and and have a little fun and you know I think that's about it for our first episode Steve I, I think that's the the pilot right there that's the pitch right that is the pitch uh, come back rate us smash the subscribe button <laughs> there it is you you are required to say smash the subscribe button on every episode I'm, from now I'm, on. I'm just glad I was able to get it in here before the end there you go uh, you can follow him on Twitter of course you can follow him at s Cavendish you can follow me at Braden Gall Steve Cavendish Braden Gall. This is Lamestream Sports. Thanks for hanging out with us in our first episode. We'll be back every week to give you some more tricks and tools to consume Nashville sports media in a better way. Sound good? Sounds good. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Lamestream Sports is a production of 440 Media LLC. All music by Trigger Hippie.